0: Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. Well, it is Valentine's weekend. And so... Uh, for those of you that are new, watching online for the first time, or maybe you've just been attending, we are marching through the Bible together uh, from Genesis to Revelation. And as we said, we won't hit every chapter in every book. We're kind of going through certain stories, and then we're going to land at the end of it, and hopefully this year show how God's story uh, really changes and transforms our story when we see all of it uh, in its glory. And one of the things that we've been kind of like, trying to figure out is I had a college professor of mine uh, who has been a lifelong mentor really helped me kind of scope through this. Uh, I go to him from time to time. His dad has written commentaries on the Bible, Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. Maybe if you have some of those Bible programs on your computer, they're on there. And so I knew this is a trusted source. And so he said, listen, when you do this though, you're not going to be able to dictate like what stories He said, so like when it becomes Mother's Day, you can't just grab a story of the Bible. You got to keep going. And I was like, that's cool. And then I realized it's Valentine's weekend. And today we're going to talk about a story that if you grew up in church, is one of the most known stories. Uh, It's probably one of the most controversial stories. And it's one of those stories that I hope today that you will go, hey, it's in the Bible, And if it's in the Bible, I want to know about it, and I want to see what it really is all about. And if it's in there, it's got to matter. And so on Valentine's Day, we thought it would be great to talk about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. (laughs) I hope you're ready. It'll be a lovely Valentine's weekend, I promise you that. As always, there's a QR code on the screen. Uh, There's lots of resources that you can get off of that QR code to help you throughout the week. We are encouraging you to get in a life group right now because our life groups are taking what is being talked about on Sunday. Many of them are, not all of them. And they're taking the discussion further to help you along. I know we just added a new women's group. We just added a young adult uh, group, a new one. And and there's lots of kind of engaged couples and things like that. All of those are out on a wall where you can scan a QR code out there. And then we have our post-Sunday podcast. And so that is an opportunity where John and I get into our podcast studio and we take the story and we go into things we can't do here because we just don't have the time or the space because there's so much involved. And so this morning, I'm going to move kind of quickly through pieces of the story, and then we're going to come back to the beginning at the very end, and I want to show you some things, and I want to kind of dissect it, and I want to bring it into sections so that you can fully understand what God wants to do with your heart through this story. And so I ask that you would bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. And that your prayer would simply be this, Holy Spirit of God, open my eyes, open my ears, make my heart tender to you. Do what you please today. Father, we pray those things together in unity. In your name I pray. Amen. We are right now in the story of Abram, or now Abraham, and so that's how we end up in the story we're about to end up in this morning. We are looking at this central figure of faith, the forefather, the patriarch. You can go back and see last week's sermon online. You can watch our Sunday, or listen to our post Sunday podcast to find out more about Abraham and all the things that we're discovering about him. What I will tell you is what we tell everyone all the time when we open up God's Word: the Bible is written by real people in real places at real times. All the things you read about are written by real people in real places at real time. You can go this week on your own and you can just Google and YouTube Sodom and Gomorrah, fire and brimstone, and you will find things like this from archaeologists and from excavators, if you can put that picture up, where they've gone to the land of Sodom and they said, hey, we're finding brimstone in the sediment in this place still Today. And so they're finding these little rocks of the sediment, these, this, this brimstone, and then they take a match and they light it, and it literally just lights on fire itself. And so you can spend time probably tonight, because if you're like me, I'm a Dolphins fan and I got nobody in the fight. It's the best thing about being a Dolphins fan is every year you don't have to worry about tonight. You can just be with people and eat good food and not get all worked up. It's a gift, I promise you not really. Anyways, the Bible's written by real people in real places at real time. And what I want you to know is I, you have to know what is happening in Sodom before we get to the place and we unwrap the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. In the stories that we're reading, there are two characters that keep coming up. Three characters is Abraham, there's his wife Sarah, and there's his nephew Lot. If you were to back up into the stories in Genesis chapter 13, Abraham has received a bunch of wealth uh, coming out of Egypt, a lot of sheep and cattle, and it says that Abraham and Lot's herdsmen begin to argue, and so Abraham goes to his nephew Lot and he says, here's the deal, I don't want our families arguing, okay? I want you to choose the land you want to go to, and then I will take whatever's left. It shows the heart of Abraham, right? Because he could very well say, God called me, I get to make all the choices. But he defers to his nephew Lot. And this is what the scriptures tells us in Genesis chapter 13. It says, and Lot lifted up his eyes. He lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord or the garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. And so he's kind of giving you an idea of the land he's looking at. It says, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll get there. It says, so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Now, what I'm trying to get you to see in the scriptures is that there are little light bulb moments when you're reading a story. Every good story has foreshadowing in it, right? And so whenever you see this word journeyed east, that is a moment for you to say, something is not going to go well. Okay, Say, how do you know when uh, God removes Adam and Eve from the garden? He says east of the garden. When he removes Cain from his presence, he releases him east to journey uh, to to no man's land. And so every time someone is journeying east, this does not mean if your GPS takes you east that you're doing something wrong. This is just in the story. It should immediately tell you something isn't going to be right about this place that Lot chose. Next verse says this Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. This is our first glimpse into this place called Sodom. And Gomorrah. If you read the next few chapters, we encourage you to read that on your own. Uh, You get the story of Abraham and Sarah, and it says that three angels appear, and they tell Abraham, on this day next year, you will receive a child. This is a fulfillment of the blessings we talked about last week, and the whole world will be blessed through this child. And so Abraham receives these guests and you can read all the details of that. And then it picks up in verse 18 because it's telling us again a little bit about this place called Sodom. And the men sent out from there and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abram went with them to set on their way and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? So now this place that is filled with wickedness They have great sins against the Lord. God says, I'm about to do something in this place and it's going to be something that I think I might want to hide from Abraham. Then the Lord said this, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And so now God goes to see all this wickedness, he sends his angels down there, and now we dive into the story. Genesis chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, an app on your phone, tablet, whatever you're using at home to watch along with us, we're going to read through a lot of the story, then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk through the story, because here's what I know. Some of you grew up in church, and you know this story, but you may not know as much as you think you know. This past week, I went into two young adults that were in our ministry center. And I said, hey, when I say the story, Sodom and Gomorrah, tell me what you think about. And they said, nothing. I said, why? They said, because I don't know that story. And so it was a real moment for me to be aware that there are many of you that you've never heard this story, okay? And so all the more reason why we want to dive into it, because it is in God's word. And if it's in God's word, it's there for a reason. It matters. It's there to change us. And I want to help you understand it. Why else would you go sit in church for an hour a week? To say, hey, there's things in here I want to know about my faith. Verse 1, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house. Spend the night, wash your feet, then you may rise up early and go on your way. There's something when you're reading the story that should already kind of let you know, like, why is he rushing his guests out? Why is he saying, listen, come sleep, but in the morning, let's get you on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside and entered his house, and he made a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate it. Now, there's a little uh, parallel going on here with Abraham at the tent and, and Lot at the city gate, and we'll talk about that on the podcast tomorrow. But in verse four, it says, but before they lay down, The men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. Now they are not inviting these men to coffee, they're not taking them out saying, Hey, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. This is a really nice way because I know that we have children in here sometimes and we have students in here, but this is a very sexual, intimate way. We want to know them. The story picks up down in six. It says, so Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. So their request and their desire is a part of the wickedness of this city. Now let me tell you something the story gets even weirder for a moment, all right? Whenever sin is involved, whenever we are seeking things for our own desire, there's a snowball effect, okay? And so it tells us this, that Lot says in verse eight, behold, I have two daughters who've not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. What dad would ever do this? only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. This is not a story you teach in Sunday school to little children, but this is a story as adults that we will journey through to understand why did God want us to know this story and what is important about it for us here today. When Lot is offering his daughters, we'll come back to that in a moment because there's some things inside of there that I think that some of you have never seen, never understood, never been able to grasp. When Lot is offering his daughters because these men have come in, these holy men, these angels of God, what we have to understand is that while on the surface it's a horrible decision, and it really is, Lot is already caught in a moral dilemma. In the biblical text, during biblical times, which we've lost this today as an art and as something that should be wired in our DNA, hospitality was a high, high duty. As a matter of fact, hospitality was such an important thing that when it was faced with social circumstances, hospitality was to take the higher obligation. So it doesn't make sense to me now, but this is how it was working within the story so that you have some context to these real people and real places at a real time. And so Lot is working through this moral dilemma in his head. Do I allow these men to come in and gang rape these two angels or do I offer my two virgin daughters to please their sexual desires and he's literally falling apart? I dare to say this would be a Sunday. No one falls asleep. It says in verse 14, So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-laws who were to marry his daughters, Up and get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to just be jesting. They thought this is all just a big joke. And there are a lot of times that God is about to do something, however he chooses, and some of us think it's a big joke. We just laugh it off. Uh, I, I don't think that God's that serious about that. I don't think that God really cares as much as you're trying to put an importance on it. And so his sons in laws are just thinking, you know what? None of this is going to happen. Verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. There's something to understand already in the story. Lot has chosen the lush, wealthier land for himself. Since his eyes gazed upon it, it was like the Garden of Eden, meaning it was beautiful and had everything. And deep down inside his heart, you're seeing this, this desire to have the very best of the best. And whenever that is what we're chasing in life, the best that we want, because we are uncontent people, there are oftentimes we will find ourselves lingering in environments or in sin or with people or relationships we shouldn't be in. And it says Lot lingered because there was this desire trying to figure out, is God going to really punish the wickedness of the city or do I need to get out of this place? And I would say there are people that when you enter into the story of God and you look at your life around you, you're faced with this dilemma. Dilemma. Do I linger here any longer or do I do what God is saying? Do I make the choices and the decisions that right now have me frozen in fear or have me trying to fulfill a desire that I think that I need or that I want forgetting that God is all that I need and should be the only thing that I want? And so as the story says, it says, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to him, merciful to him, even in this moment, they brought him out and sent him outside the city. Verse 15, and as they brought him out, one of the angels said, escape for your life and do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And the story begins to end and it says this, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And so literally there is fire and sulfur from heaven destroying the city because of its wickedness. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. And then it says this, but Lot's wife Behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, there is so much happening in the story right now. If you read this story, you've heard this story for the first time, this is like, like, where, what, what is this doing in the Bible? And what am I trying to find out? And what is God wanting me to know? This story is showing sin, this who we're with, the things we choose, and the things we want to do. And when it comes to this story, if you've grown up in church, there is one way you have used this story. There are things you know about this story, but there's so much more to this story. Because what we want to investigate is what is the wickedness of this city that makes it so wicked that God would rain down fire and sulfur and burn the city up? What is it outside of the obvious? What is it that makes it so wicked that God would have this type of wrath and judgment upon him? See, all throughout the Bible, there are connecting points. And there are pieces of Scripture that go back, and they give you pictures and pieces of the story that you may not have known if you're just opening it up, putting your finger somewhere and going, I'm looking for inspiration today. Instead of, I'm trying to understand God's story so that it can forever, eternally change my story. And the book of Ezekiel, the prophet of Ezekiel, he's a prophet, he's a messenger, he speaks on behalf of God, and he's speaking to the nation of Israel. And he references Sodom and Gomorrah, he says this, behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom, as he's speaking to the Israelites. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. He says, here's something else, they were haughty. And they did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Wait a second. Because when I used to be told the story of Genesis chapter 19, I was only told one sin in the story. And this is why God destroyed it. I didn't realize that there were layers and multiple sins being transgressed against God. I didn't realize that that's what had made this place so wicked was all these sins, not just one of these sins. And so the wickedness or the sin problem for for, uh, Sodom is this. They had pride, gluttony. They weren't treating others fairly. There was oppression. They, They weren't aiding and helping the poor. There was a lot happening inside the story that God said, hey, that's not what I'm about, and that's not what I created you for. I didn't create you to be prideful. And there are some people in here that that's what you struggle with. You struggle with the sin of pride. It is about me, my way, where I get, how I'm noticed. When I walk in a room, I want all eyes on me. I will always be right because I think I am right. Guy says, no, that's not the heart I'm looking for and the people I created. There are people in here that you struggle with the sin of gluttony. That's not just food. It says they were prosperous in their living and at ease, meaning I get whatever I want. I got the money. I got the finances. We, we got the bigger house, the bigger car. If there's three of them, I'm going to get six of them. If someone needs one, I'm going to grab five of them. Treating others fairly. So, but life's not fair. It's not. Life's not fair, but as followers of Jesus, we are to treat people equal and fairly. And there was oppression. No one was helping the needs of the poor. No one was coming alongside of them as God had wanted and desired within his creation to take care of the poor and the needy. But there was also the sin of hospitality. Jesus references it. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 10, he says, as you enter the house, this is when he sends his disciples out and he's telling them, go share the good news of the gospel of Jesus. He says, as you enter people's houses, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, go back, I'm sorry. Let your peace return to you. So he says, you will enter this house. If they receive it, peace be upon you. If they don't receive it, take your peace with you. Then he says this. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Wait a second. Like, we know what's happening in this wicked town, and we know what your judgment was. And yet God's saying, hey, listen, when we don't show hospitality, it's worse for those people. Is your house. With all your nice stuff. A place when people come into you that you say, don't sit there. Take off your shoes. Don't walk there. Hey, that's our really nice stuff. Don't touch that. To where someone walks in your house and they feel like they just got to do this. <laughs> because we don't know how to be hospitable and, think and, re- and truly live out of the fact everything I have in my house actually belongs to God. Amen. He gave it to me. He allowed me to have it. That couch is for people to sit on so that they can hear Jesus from me. That really nice, fine dinnerware, that's for me to create a really nice meal and invite people into so that I can talk about Jesus with them. There was the sin of no hospitality. And then there is the obvious. In the New Testament, not the Old Testament, in the book of Jude chapter 4, it says this. It says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed. Crept in where? Crept into the faith. Pay attention for just a moment. Who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. And deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 7 it says this. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, they serve as an example by the undergoing and punishment of eternal fire. And so there's the sin of pride and there's the sin of gluttony, and there's the sin of treating others fairly, and there's the sin of oppression, and there's a the sin of no hospitality, and there's the sin of homosexuality. All of these were happening in Sodom, and all of these are sin against God. And God saw their wickedness And their sin had become so great that he would go down and see for himself. And then he said, listen, what I'm going to do because of the sins of this city, all of them, not one of them, not a few of them, not the ones you like, not the ones you want and the ones you want to disregard, all of them, he says, maybe I need to hide it from Abraham. Maybe I need to hide it from Abraham and not even let him know. What you have to understand is that sin is real and sin has consequences and sin angers God. And we are living in a time and in a generation where we like to play with sin too much. And we like to play this game of what sin is worse than the other or what sin should I focus on and not the other? And we like to to play this game of, God, you understand, or if I can just justify it, if I can linger, or if I can laugh about it, then maybe it won't be that bad to you. But sin was never intended to be part of what God intended for you. And as we learned in Genesis chapter 3, you don't talk to the snake. You don't grab the snake by the tail. You stay away from the snake, the sin. God is watching everything we do, every choice we make. And as we said last week, you are one decision away from a totally different life. One decision away from a totally different life. We open up this story because we must be willing to open up the full story of God so that we can build our faith and our theology and the foundation of what we believe so that we can stand in this culture all around us. It's really easy to see the prevalent sin in our culture. Just watch the Grammys last week. Okay? I'm not showing you any video or pictures today. Just see what the artist Sam Smith did, dressed like the devil and had a full, full satanic worship service on set with a standing ovation. And the world applauds it and they embrace it and they celebrate it. That's the easy one. The scriptures tells us also that Satan parades around like an angel of light meaning I'm going to try to disguise it. I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to make you want to accept it and desire it so that you will engage with it. And yet God is saying, I want you to flee from it. And so when it comes to sin, we must be willing to call sin, sin for this reason. We cannot change the story of God. We cannot change the story of God to fit into the story of how we want to live. I will not do that. I will not allow that. If there's some other place you want to go to maybe try to find that and discover that, but we will march all the way through God's word and we will not change God's word. God's word is there to change my story and not to fit into my story. Amen. And this is what it means to know God and to follow him and to put your faith and trust in him. This is what it means to know the stories of the Bible so that when we get inside of that, we see sin and God's wrath, God's wrath and God's heart. We know how to navigate the tough culture that we live in today. Don't forget within the story that God shows compassion on Lot's family. He didn't have to save them. He didn't have to rescue them. But he chose to. And you'll find out why and you'll see that in the next chapter. And we don't have time to get into that story today because this is crazy as can be. But Johnny and I will get into that in a podcast tomorrow. You can check that out there. But here's where I want to end in the last few moments that we have. There is sin in God's wrath. There is God's wrath in God's heart. And there is sin in our response. And for every person in this room, this is the response that we find inside the story of Abraham that I believe makes the story so important. If you go back to the beginning of the story when we're first introduced to it, it's not Genesis 19, it's Genesis chapter 18, the very end of it. And so while these three men have come to Abraham and they've said, listen, we, 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 we are going to return next year and next year at this time you're going to have a child and then the son is going to be the blessing from God. Two of them are about to go down to Sodom. One of them stays back and Abraham has a conversation with them. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abram stood before the Lord. Then Abram drew near to this person. And said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And within the story, Abraham says, listen, God, if I could find 50 righteous people, would you save this city? And God says, okay, yeah, I would do that. And they can't. If I can find 40 righteous, would you save this city, God? Okay, we'll do 40, 30, 20 if I could find five righteous people, just five, would you save this city, God? And God says, yeah, I'd save it for five people if, I could, if, I, if you could find them. I, I, there's this moment where, where, where Abraham is pleading before God. God, I'm trying to figure out whatever way possible to get you to relent and not destroy these wicked people. Why would this be his heart? Why why would this be what we need to know? There's a difference in the story. The very ending of the story has two different people. It has Lot's wife and it has Abraham. And it says that Lot's wife looks back and she's turned into a pillar of salt. It later tells us that Abraham shows up as the the, the city is on fire and the smoke is billowing and he just looks out over the city. What's the difference in the two hearts? Lot's wife looks back because her heart is clinging to everything she got inside that city. Abraham looks back over the city and his heart is grieving. Her heart wants to return to all the wickedness. She can't let it go. Whatever it is the city has to offer her. And Abraham is standing there grieving, watching the smoke rise up and billow over the city. See, for far too long, Genesis 19 has just been a passage to scream at a bunch of people living against God as if we're proclaiming and asking God, bring down fire and sulfur upon those people. Is it sin? It is sin. Absolutely. But I'm reminded that in the New Testament, the, the disciples, they go to a city and the city doesn't want to receive them, the a Samaritan city, and their response to Jesus is, hey, Jesus, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? This is what they asked Jesus because the city wouldn't accept them, wouldn't, wouldn't bring them in in a hospitable way. And it says in the next verse, Jesus rebuked them. That's not to be your heart. That can be God's judgment because he's God and he can do whatever he wants to do. It's his creation, but that's not to be your heart. Your actions reflect your soul. And when there are people that are living in sin, and your soul is screaming out, God, bring down fire and get rid of them. Maybe you need to look at the heart of Abraham. That God says, maybe I shouldn't let him know what's happening because I know what's about to take place. He's gonna complete plead with me. Don't do this, God. Don't do this. I know it's wicked. And I know there's a lot of grave sin. But don't do this. Don't take those people. I'm reminded of 1 Peter. Where's your God and why hasn't he come back? God's not slow because he's not on your time. He's patient, waiting so that no one shall perish. I'm reminded of Daniel in the book of Daniel, and we'll get to some of Daniel later, but there's a prayer that he prays. Daniel prays this prayer. He says, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. Your holy hill because of our sins, not their sins, not his sin, not her sin. It's our sin. At some point, we have to wake up and say, we are contributing to the sins of the world. And collectively, we've got to come before God. And he says this, and for the iniquity of our fathers, and he continues in his prayer, he says, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword, meaning they are, they're notorious for how they're living right now. Among all who are among us, now and therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake. Oh, Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which right now is desolate. Our world right now is desolate. It is full of sin. The world is trying to suck us into all of its messages so that you will accept it, you will affirm it, you will engage in it, you will linger in it, you will look back to it, you will hold on to it. And it needs some people that would pray, God, would you come shine your face? Some of you in your family right now, it's desolate because there's family living in some of those sins. And you're trying to figure out how to be merciful and yet how to also stand in truth. Some of you have friends that are living some of those sins and you're going, I don't know how to speak to them. I don't want them to see a story like this. I don't want to try to, try to explain this to anybody. How about you just have the heart of Abraham today first? That you would come fall on your face and you would plead on behalf of their sin. Oh God, for the sins of my family for the sins of my friends for the sins of my daughter or my son or whomever it is I pray for the day that they feel your face shining upon them and I am not here God to pray down fire and brimstone I am here to plead on behalf of them for the moment where they would know who you are and they would not look back and they would not cling to that but they would come free from that and so that's how we're going to end this service. I'm not going to ask anybody to come stand down here with you. But there are some of you here today that you need to come plead with God on behalf of someone else. Not yourself. A friend, a spouse, a child, a co-worker, a classmate, whomever it might be. God, I am here today and they don't even know it. But I'm going to take the story of Abraham and I'm going to come before you and I'm just going to plead. God, you know them. You know them by name. God, just as Peter says, wait a little longer because I know when you return what's going to take place. God, could you wait just a little longer for them to understand their need for you as a Savior? And so this morning, with heads bowed and eyes closed, who needs to come? Who needs to come kneel at the altar and pray on behalf of someone like you've never prayed before. Maybe it starts with a prayer of repentance. God, my heart has been, bring the fire, bring the sulfur, but I should be looking at Abraham. God, please, please, use me, give me words to say, give me wisdom, give me direction. Praying on behalf of this is not accepting or affirming anything. It is chasing after the heart of God to move and work and as Daniel said, to shine your face for our sins and for our iniquities. Father, today, we live in a broken world that desperately need you. And there are people trying to walk in your truth, stand in your truth with loved ones all around them walking and living in sin. God, would you do something in our hearts today that shapes it and molds it to mimic the heart of Abraham that although we wait for a righteous judge to return, we would plead with you that the time before you do, that you would shine your face upon whoever it is so they may claim you, find you, be redeemed by you as their Lord and Savior. God, we pray and we plead today.